As you can see on the screen, our reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 47. And whilst you're finding that, we start this reading together towards the end of Luke's account of the day of Pentecost. And we are about to read the end of Peter's speech to the crowds that had gathered after the Holy Spirit rested on the apostles. And they'd started to speak in languages that they didn't understand themselves, but were understood by those who were in the crowd. So Peter continues, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent, and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anybody who actually had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And may that be our fervent prayer. Amen. Thanks very much, Martin. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Uh, Let's pray as we come to God's word together. Father God, as your spirit was very much in evidence on that first day of Pentecost, we do pray that he will be here with us this morning, enabling us to understand your word. We do pray that he'll be working in our hearts, that he would enable us to respond to your word by being more devoted to you, more devoted to one another, and more devoted to getting your word out to those who do not yet know the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that in his name. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of a series on a devoted church. And uh, I hope the picture that we've drawn of the, the early church being a devoted church is an attractive one. I hope as you've compared the picture of the early church from, from Acts 
with our church here today that um, you wouldn't have been too discouraged, that you would have seen some elements that are similar to um, that of the early church. And where we do fall short, I do hope that you will have felt inspired to pray and do something about it. Well, so far we've focused more on the, the inward and upward aspects of being a devoted church, a church that is devoted to God and to one another. But this morning we're going to be looking at being more outward as we look at what it means to be a church that is devoted to mission. If we were to go back um, 50 years or so, probably most people would have thought of mission as sending people overseas to spread the gospel. Well, today, sadly, we live in a secular country, a country that needs to receive missionaries from other countries, a country that needs to hear the gospel. When I felt called into Christian ministry about 16 years or so ago now, it was while I was living and working in Brazil. And the question I had to think about was, if God was calling me to be a pastor, um, where was it that he wanted me to serve? Should I stay in Brazil? But I very quickly came to the conclusion that the gospel needs in my own country was greater than that in Brazil. The speed at which the church was growing there was matched by the speed at which the church was declining in this country. So much so that being a Christian in this country today is probably not much different from how it was for Christians in Jerusalem at the time of the events in this passage. We may not face physical persecution, but Bible-believing Christians are definitely in a minority. And mission is therefore an urgent priority for the church. So what does it mean to be devoted to mission? Well, the first point we need to acknowledge is that mission is not done to the exclusion of worship. Worship and witness go together. When we start to read Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, the first impression we might get is that the believers were quite insular. They spent time in learning, um, in fellowship, breaking bread, praying together. And many are focused on verse 42 to justify a church that concentrates on its relationship with God to the exclusion of those around them. But when we look at the passage more closely, what we see is that what these believers did had a huge impact on others. In verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. How could everyone be filled with awe if the believers just met together on their own? They were doing wonders and miraculous signs amongst the people to point them to Jesus. Verse 45 says that uh, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. As they praised God in verse 47, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. This was a church that wasn't just wrapped up in themselves and their needs, but with the needs of those around them. Those people saw that uh, there was something special about this group, and so others joined them. And so verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And we'll come back to that verse later. The first point I want to make is that worship and witness go together. It's what John Stott refers to as the double identity of the church. We are a people called out from the world to belong to God, to worship God. 
But the other identity of the church is as a people who is sent back into the world to witness and to serve. As it says in 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Knowing that we've been called out of darkness is to recognize there are still others in the darkness who we need to bring into the light. And so we go back into the world to tell them the good news. Best example of one who did this was Jesus himself in coming to earth, taking the form of a man. This was the holy God coming into the world, a world that was hostile towards him, but in which he showed his love and compassion and all that he did. So we need to ask ourselves first, have we got the, the balance right? Is the time we spend studying God's word on our, on our own with other Christians, the time we, we spend encouraging each other in the faith, is that balanced by the time we spend living that out so that others may see it? And there are different ways in which we can get this out of balance. At one extreme, we spend all of our time in the comfortable, safe environment of the church with God's people. At the other extreme, we spend all of our time in the world. We maybe just pop up on a Sunday to church, but we're more comfortable in the world. I wonder where you are on that that spectrum. Maybe you're, you're not a Christian yet. And if that's the case, it's great that you've come today. And I hope it was a Christian friend who, who invited you, who obviously thinks a lot of you. And for those here who are Christians, in which direction do we need to move to spend more time with Christians or more time in the world? I would guess that for, for most, it would probably be spending more time with those who are not yet Christians. I guess that's also not a conscious decision to not have friends who are not Christians, but that's just a position you, you, you happen to find yourself in. So how do we become more missional? Whose responsibility is it? Well, mission is something that is done as a church community together, as well as by church members individually. We've said before in this series that uh, human beings are made for relationships, for living in community. And I suggested that is probably why TV soap operas are so popular. People love uh, watching how people interact with others in communities. Whether it's a neighborhood community, in the context of EastEnders or neighbors, uh, maybe a hospital community, in the case of Holby City. Or maybe just a group of people who enjoy hanging out together, in the case of the sitcom Friends. But what that means is though, that people outside the church are intrigued by how Christians relate to one another in their respective churches as well as between churches. And that can be positive or it can be negative. If people hear about a church splitting, it reinforces their view that Christianity is just not worth investigating. Christians are no different from anyone else. They're just hypocrites. But if we live out our lives in the way that Jesus called us to, as we've been seeing in this series on a devoted church, devoted to God, devoted to one another, then that is very powerful. It's relationships that show 
that the gospel is real and that it works. Not that people get on great all the time with one another, but when they do fall out, they forgive one another. They seek reconciliation. So when we invite people to church, what are we inviting people to? Are we inviting them to an event? Or are we inviting them to meet a community? The most effective outreach events are the ones where guests come and and meet Christians who show that they are inclusive, who show that they have an interest in them, where they see strong friendships in action. In short, where they see an attractive community that they would like to be a part of. If you listen to a, a powerful gospel talk, but there is no warmth in the people, then it loses its power. The Apostle Peter wrote in his letter, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's not just about inviting people to events. It's living authentic lives. It's doing good deeds. Community action team here in the church has been picking up prescriptions, offering lifts for those who are unable to get to the surgery. We have a community cafe here on a Friday which offers free cake and free coffee. It's a good number of the church helped with a community clear-up last year. These are all things that show Christian love in action. We hope they will make people ask, well, where did that come from? Why are these Christians so caring? Why are they so interested in doing things for the community? What we see in Acts 2 is a community that is attractive. And so the Lord is adding daily to its number. But of course, mission is not just done together as a church community. Not everyone will want to come to a church event. It's also done by individuals. Let's have a turn to Acts chapter 8 for, for a moment. What we see here is that after the, the stoning of Stephen, the church is subjected to widespread attack. The devil was clearly at work trying to destroy God's, God's work. And it says in verse 3, Paul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. What happens? Well, in verse 1, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, no doubt the apostles felt they had a duty to stay put in Jerusalem, but the rest of the church was scattered. Now, you may think, well, surely that was the end this fledgling movement that uh, may have felt strong when they were all together in one place, that was now scattered throughout the country. How was it going to survive? But that was part of God's plan. If you look back at chapter 1 of of Acts, verse 8, there it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when we go to Acts 8, unbeknown to the devil, he's actually playing straight into God's hand here. God is the one who's in control of events. He uses the persecution of his people to spread the gospel. 
The believers who were scattered, they don't go into hiding and wait for um, it to be a little bit safer. No, it says in verse 4 of chapter 8, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The word translated preached here is literally evangelized. In other words, they, they spread the good news about Jesus. These are not your, your apostles, those called to be preachers or evangelists. These are simply your believers. Some of whom hadn't actually been believers for very long. Simply sharing what they knew about Jesus and leaving the rest up to God. One of those people was Philip. If you look down further on in, in chapter 8, he's told um, by an angel in verse 26 to go down to a particular road where he meets an Ethiopian eunuch who had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's obviously a spiritual person. And he's even reading what was there was of the Bible at that time. And so the Spirit tells Philip in verse 29, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, we don't know how the Spirit tells him, whether it's some sort of inner prompting or a more direct telling, but Philip does just that. He realizes that the Ethiopian is reading from the book of Isaiah. And so he asks him quite casually, do you understand what you are reading? And he says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The Ethiopian tells him which passage he's reading, and we're told in verse 35, Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And not long afterwards, he asks to be baptized. One Christian, following the guidance of the Spirit, using the word of God to help somebody else come to faith. As a church, we are scattered, both in terms of where we live, but also where we work, where we play. But that means there are lots of opportunities for the gospel to spread. If you think there are about um, you know, over 300 of us who regularly attend the church, how many people do you think we come into contact with each week? Maybe 20? Some will be more, some maybe be less. But that over the course of a week, is 6,000 people, 6,000 people who may see there is something different about us in the way we lead our lives, in the things we talk about, the ways in which we show care and concern for others, or in the things that we don't do that others will do. 6,000 people we could be praying for. On the one hand, we are scattered. On the, the other, our base is here in Long Crendon, and over a hundred people come to this church from Long Crendon. So again, if we are engaging with the community, it should be possible for each person here in Long Crendon to know at least someone from this church. We're told God is a patient God, not wanting anyone to, to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And if that is the reason he has delayed his return, then what are we doing to make the most of that extra time he has given his people? We're all called to be devoted to mission, both corporately and individually. So what exactly are we meant to do then? Well, mission involves passion, it involves proclamation, and it involves prayer. Before we worry about what we do or say, 
the first thing we need is a passion for people. We need to be concerned about the eternal destiny of people who don't turn from leading their lives their own way to God. If we haven't got that passion, then our efforts are not going to be genuine, they're not going to be heartfelt, they will just be done out of duty. And there's a big difference between something being done out of a real concern and something being done out of duty. A passion for people isn't something you can just develop. It's something we have to ask God for. It's a, it comes from his grace. But if we do have a passion for people, then going back to Acts chapter 2, in the words of um, verse 47 there, It says there that the believers enjoy the favour of all the people. Or in the words of the message translation, people liked what they saw. That won't always be the case. Many people won't want anything to do with us. And so it's important to pray that we will enjoy the favour of the people, both as a church, in the community, but also as individuals, that people will respect our faith and be interested in it. In the story of of Philip, it was because Philip had a passion for people that the opportunity came up. He was no doubt praying for such an opportunity and, and the Spirit led him into it. And he took the opportunity. If we have a passion for people, then we will be praying first for opportunities. After all, many people feel uncomfortable about talking about spiritual things. But then praying for boldness to take those opportunities when they come. That's what the early church did. In chapter 4 of the Acts, we're told that after Peter and John were released from prison, the church asked God, Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And we're told that after they prayed... The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's not miss those opportunities when they come. Billy Graham writes of the time when after a prayer breakfast at the White House, President Kennedy asked him um, whether he could speak with him in private. It was a freezing cold day, and he was suffering from a fever. And so Billy Graham said, do you mind actually if we do it some other time? A few months later, Kennedy was assassinated, and there was never another opportunity, which Billy Graham regrets to this day. I'm sure we all have regrets about missed opportunities. I certainly do. Philip was given an opportunity on a plate, but he was very open to the Spirit's leading. We need to be in step with the Spirit. We also need to pray for wisdom to know what to say and how to say it. But ultimately, what Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch was he told him the good news about Jesus, as simple as that. And that's what we need to do. And some people find that easier than others. Uh, Some may be better with words than than others. But it's not a question of, of education and intellect. It's a question of confidence in the Spirit. After all, Peter and John are described in Acts as um, unschooled, ordinary men. But also men who had been with Jesus, who had been filled with the Spirit. So in case you're worried about what you might say, we can all share 
the gospel because we all have a story to tell about how Jesus has changed our lives. But in all this, it's important to remember before we get too worried that the results of mission are down to the Lord. At the Safari Supper in the village um, recently, I was asked a question which often comes up. So it's, what do you do? question we're all, I'm sure, asked, um, to which I replied, or my pastor in the Baptist church. And again, as often is the case, the response comes back, um, oh yeah, I understand the Baptist church is, um, is very successful in the village. And it's difficult to know where to go from there, isn't it, sometimes? Because implicit in that statement is, um, you must be doing something right. It's almost wanting to know what is the secret of your success when all people read about his church is declining in attendance. And the temptation is to start talking about what we do. But isn't the right answer yes? God has been good to us. God has blessed our work. It is actually all about God. Have a look at verse 47. It says, um, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The believers had a role to play, as we've seen. But the results of their work were down to the Lord. It's possible with our human efforts to to add to our numbers here. We can offer all sorts of incentives to get people through the doors. Free donuts, free entertainment, free childcare, free sweets. But it's the Lord... Only the Lord who can add to our number those who are being saved. The only one who can enable a non-Christian to understand the good news about Jesus, enable him or her to want to respond to that by committing their life to Jesus, is God and his Holy Spirit. That is his saving work. And the bit we do in the process, maybe right at the beginning and maybe somewhere in the middle, It may be at the end. It's only like to be one small part in that process, but we do need to play a part somewhere if we are to be faithful witnesses for Christ. What is also interesting about this short sentence is that the the Lord added those who are being saved to their number. As they are saved, they are added to the church. They become part of the church. And they too then join in learning, breaking bread, fellowship, and prayer. There's no place for for individual Christians plowing their own furrow. They become part of God's people. They become part of his church. And the other interesting thing is that he did it daily. God doesn't just wait until uh, the Sunday service or a big evangelistic event. He saves people daily. How does that happen? What does that imply? What implies that the believers were sharing their faith on a daily basis. Evangelism is about personal witness. And we do that every day of our lives as we live out our Christian faith. Well, we've come to the end of our series on a devoted church. And um, if you are already a Christian, I hope... It's given you a greater sense of pleasure and privilege to know that you belong to God's church. If you're not, I hope it's given you an incentive to belong, to come and give your faith to Christ. I hope it's inspired all of us to be more devoted to God, more devoted to one another, 
and more devoted to those who are not yet Christians. The five things that we have looked at in this series, devoted to learning, devoted to one another, devoted to worship, devoted to prayer, and devoted to mission. Let me just take you, let me ask you to take a minute um, to reflect on what God has been saying to you in this series. Which of these aspects of church life do you feel you should be asking God to help you with more, to help you to become more devoted? Let's have a moment of quiet to reflect on that, to pray for God's help. And then we'll sing and ask the Lord Jesus to come and pour out his spirit on us today. A moment of quiet.